God, speak through Jacob this morning. God, we want to leave changed. We want to hear from you. God, move in this place in power. God, we love you. We do all of this for you, for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Hello? Sorry about that. Hello, good morning again. My name is Jacob Smith, and I am the college pastor here at our Anderson campus. And man, it's just, it's a joy to be here with you guys. It's always um, really just an honor and a privilege to, to jump over across the street, uh, to, to spend some time in the Word of God uh, alongside of you. And, and so we'll be continuing in our series that you guys have been in here in the family service. We'll be actually in Exodus chapter 16 this morning. Uh, if you want to open up your Bible or your phone, uh, we'll be starting in Exodus chapter 16, looking at um, the experience of the nation of Israel uh, as they wandered through the wilderness. And, and I'll tell you, it's, it's really, it's fortuitous because as I was preparing this week and, and studying the passage, man, I realized that there was just, there's this perfect time, man. There's, there was an experience in my life that I had uh, that really just almost beat for beat follows the nation of Israel. The Lord put me through my own uh, experience. And I am going, I left my clicker down here, and I'm back. And um, yeah, so we are just going to essentially just imagine you're in the nation of it, you're, you're part of the Jewish nation, you're walking through the wilderness, and something like this happens in your life uh, like this. Okay, one more, okay, here we go, just like this. Ah, uh, um, all right. Uh, okay, let's be honest. We're all feeling disappointed, right? <laughs> We're all a little bit upset. Why? Uh, I walked up late, right? Um, I left my clicker down at the pew uh, intentionally. Uh, I loaded up, uh, set up an illustration that did not come through. And in fact, there were a few of us that were still like holding on, maybe showing a little bit of grace. Maybe it was less disappointment. You were more just sympathetic towards my cause. Um, I, I put a grammatical error in this slide so that you would feel the same disappointment. And some of you were nudging your wife and be like, can you believe this? Okay. Here we go. We're all on the same page. Now we're okay. Amen indeed. Let it be. Why go through this suffering? Why? Why would I put us through this process? Why did Rob and I actually conspire together to create this moment? Uh, he actually had a really, I thought it was a great suggestion. He said, hey, what if, what if in fact we just forget to serve coffee in the foyer? Uh, and we took it to Fisher and Brian was like, no, too far. Right? Like, okay, uh, wisdom, right? Okay, we'll take it. But why would we go through this? I don't like disappointing people. I especially don't enjoy planning to disappoint people intentionally. Well, it's because I I really wanted us to have this moment. I really want us to share the experience of having our expectations at one spot and then reality land just underneath it. Right? Because you maybe had expectations that, hey, people are going to be on time. Slides are going to work. Grammar errors are done away with. That was solved in eighth grade. You're like, you, know, you had those expectations. Those are reasonable expectations. Right? Those are very reasonable expectations. And yet, they were not met. And so what do we do with that gap? 
Right? What fills that space? I think a lot of times in our lives, when we hit that gap, when we hit that space between our expectations and reality, what fills it is disappointment. Right? That's where disappointment really shows up in our lives, or discontentment, or frustration. And this happens all the time. We have expectations for the behavior of our children. And yet reality is here. Right? That's, that's the way it goes. Oh, we have expectations for the kindness and grace of our parents. And, that, and the reality is, here. it's here, right? You should, well, no, it's, sometimes they miss it, right? We have expectations for our work compensation. We have expectations for our school performance. We have expectations for our lifestyle. We have expectations for our personal health or our emotional state. And yet many times in life, as we walk in day in and day out, we have expectations that simply are not met. We have expectations and reality. And in that space, we can choose to fill it in one of two ways. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, the reality is that we actually have a choice. It doesn't have to be disappointment. It doesn't have to be frustration. In fact, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have given two options. We can choose to fill that space, to fill that gap with disappointment or with dependence. We can choose in those moments to trust. To trust in the God who ultimately is overseeing all things. Who's bigger than we maybe ever even thought that he was. And see, this is what I hope we learn from the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 16. Because when we study this chapter, when we study these historical events, what we'll see is that the people of God have always wrestled with this gap. They have always wrestled with unmet expectations. And when we see Israel walk through legitimate problems, what we'll see in chapter 16 of Exodus is that God then meets it with lifelong provision. And in doing so, it teaches us Hopefully the principle behind finding lasting contentment in this world. Lasting contentment, lasting peace in the person of our God. Right, so if it begins in Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1, where we are essentially jumping into the journey that Israel has been on. They've been delivered out of slavery and bondage to the land of Egypt. And they're being moved through the wilderness with the hopes of reaching a land that God promised to them. Right, the promised land. And on the way there, it says that when they journeyed from Elam, the entire company of Israelites came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after their exodus from the land of Egypt. So basically, we're just setting the time. We're setting up the chronology and, and we're hearing, okay, they're about 45 days into their journey. And at that point, verse two, the entire company of Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron in the desert. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Literally right here, what they're saying, what's happening is they are murmuring against Moses and Aaron. And that, that word doesn't necessarily carry the weight or, or it means a lot of things to a lot of us. And so literally right here, what's, what's being described in the Hebrew, the Hebrew term is the root of it is this idea of being stuck, of staying somewhere. You would actually talk about you would stay, if you're staying a long time, you're staying overnight. This is the term you would use. And so when it's used in this type of context, describing the actions of people with another person, what it means is they are literally, in the Hebrew, stuck against Moses and Aaron. They're just, they're being obstinate. And they've hit this wall and they're just stuck in this place of frustration and disappointment. Why? Because they are unsatisfied with their circumstances. They're saying it would have been better to die in Egypt. Why? 
Because when we, were, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you brought us out into this desert to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They are complaining. They're saying, we're afraid we're just going to die out here. It would have been better to die 45 days ago when we sat by the pots of meat. Which personally doesn't sound that appetizing to me, right? Just like a barrel of meat. Uh, but... They're saying, look, no, we had meat, we had bread, and we could eat all we want. And, and the reality is that this is kind of an unjustified complaint, right? Like this, this is not actually true. We know from historical account, from historical record, that, that Egyptian slaves, work crews, did not eat like this. They were not eating to their fill no matter what the day was. They, they, they did not have this actual experience. And, and we know for a fact that when Israel, when the nation of Israel actually left Egypt, they took with them flocks and herds and animals and food and water and provisions. They had all these things. They were not truly in danger of starving to death in this moment. So some of their complaint was illegitimate. However, I would say that they are, though, legitimately feeling fear. Or that they are legitimately worried and concerned about their livelihood, about their future. And so they're bringing this legitimate kind of issue before Moses and Aaron. They're saying, it it feels like you guys are just, you're doing this on purpose, right? You just brought us here with the purpose of killing us. And so Moses and Aaron respond in verse 6. And they say to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. They say, this is what you need to know. You need to know that ultimately we're not actually the people in charge of this, right? You need to know that it's actually the Lord who's been on the move. It's the Lord who's leading you where you're headed. It's the Lord who's actually in control of this entire circumstance. They said, in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your murmurings against the Lord. And as for us, what are we? That you should murmur against us. Literally right here in the Hebrew, they're using this, this word pairing. A lot of emphasis in Hebrew is found through where words are placed in a sentence. And so literally right here, when we, in the English, we try to get at it by saying, ask for us, what are we? But literally in the Hebrew, it's, it's, they're saying, we? What? That's what they're saying. They're saying, us? Huh? What? Huh? That's the Hebrew term. Huh? Like that's, that's what they're trying to say. Not really. They're saying, we have nothing to do with the direction and purpose of this journey. They're saying, God has placed us in, just happens to place us in front of you for sure, but it's his journey, man. This is his thing. Think you're bringing these issues against us, but what you're missing is that it's actually the Lord who's in control. It's actually the Lord who is overseeing this process. And they're saying, and and here's the beauty of it. He hears you, right? He knows you. He sees you. Moses and Aaron are trying to impress upon them the importance of a principle that I think we even still lose sight of. That our God sees us in our struggles. He is aware of the circumstances of our life. He sees us in our financial strain. Man, he sees us in those broken relationships. He sees your future fears and your past regrets. Our God sees you trying to fight against those destructive thought patterns that simply won't stop. God sees you as your family battles with an illness or is mourning the death, the loss of a loved one. God sees us in those moments. But there's a fear that still takes root in my heart. 
that, well, what if, he, what if he doesn't? What if I really am just alone in this life? What if it's just I'm at the mercy of the whims of this world, that anything could happen, that I could get hit by a bus, that, that my job could just go away, that, that, that these, ish, these pieces will fall out of place, that, that these people will leave me? And what if, what if I really am just at the mercy of this world and, and no one sees me and no one, God d- just doesn't notice? And it's simply not true. But it's a fear that I buy into. It's a fear that I see play out in my life, it's a, which means that then I try to like hold things ever tightly. Like, that's going to work. I see it play out in my kids' lives all the time. My, my wife and I have three children under the age of five, uh, Charlotte, Lawrence, and Liam. Uh, and Liam is seven months old, but this kid, man, he knows how to cry. I tried to capture uh, one of his moments. This dude, he is advanced for his age. He's a, he's a savant when it comes to, or prodigy when it comes to wailing. Uh, because he knows that, man, there are times in my life where just fear overtakes me. And so in response to that fear, he just, he just screams out. Sometimes it's fear of intimacy with his siblings, right? It's like, no, too close, right? Boundaries, right? I don't, we're not, we don't know each other. We've only known each other for seven months. Come on, like, give it time. Uh, other times... I think it's a, it's a fear of abandonment. Uh, he loves to be held. He loves to just go around doing whatever you're doing with you. And if you put him down, which is necessary, right? Sometimes it is necessary to place him down uh, in, in a safe, comfortable space uh, because there are other things that I can't do while holding him, right? I, I'm holding him, but I'm like, oh my gosh, Lawrence is on the ceiling fan. How did? And so I got to put Liam down so I can go try to figure that out. But as soon as I do that, Right? There are other than certain windows of the day. There are most of the windows of the day. If I'm putting him down in his safe, comfortable, toy-filled play area, he begins to just oh, flip out and wail and scream and cry. Because I think on some level, deep down, he is terrified that he will never be picked up ever again. That that was it. That that was his final moment of being held. Which isn't true, right? I mean, I, I get it a little bit. He is a third child. So you got to be loud sometimes, right? Like, I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, man, buddy, we're, we're still here, right? I can see you. We are going to take care of you. But there's something in him that just is, is, is fearful and frustrated in that moment. And I think a lot of times we've hit these moments in our lives where we lose sight of the truth that our God sees us, that he knows where we are. He knows what we're going through. And even then, he wants us to share with him our thought process. He knows it, but he still wants us to talk about it with him. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians 4 to make our concerns known before the Lord, to make our needs known to him. We see repeatedly in Scripture this this beautiful principle of coming and speaking to the Lord, of, of confessing, God, this is the state of my heart. This is what I need. These are the issues in my life. Not because we're like waking him up to this situation, but because he wants us to enter into that space, that intimate conversation that's made possible by a relationship formed by faith through Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to come to me with these issues. Because in doing so, you're taking a step of faith. You're taking a step of trust. Because it's one thing to know that God sees us, but it's another thing to trust that he's actually going to do something about it. Right, that's what was beautiful for the nation of Israel in Exodus 16 in verse 4. 
Right? So right after he hears their complaint, right after he sees their legitimate problem, he meets it with lifelong provision. Verse 4 says this, that the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people will go out and they will gather the amount for each day so that I may test them. Will they walk in my law or not? God says, I'm going to send you. Again, we kind of lose some of this in the English. But this idea, the Hebrew term, the participles that are being used right here, in his, he's saying, I'm going, he's saying, it is, it, he's implying an imminent action, an immediate response, like just a knee-jerk, like reflex reaction. He says, I'm literally saying, I am about to rain. I'm about to rain bread to meet this need. But he says, but there's a purpose behind it. He says, there's a, there's a, there's a, a reason, right? He says, it's so that I may test them. Will they walk in my law or not? Because on the sixth day, verse five, they will prepare what they bring in and it will be twice as much as they gather every other day. Literally, he's saying that that test, he says, it is literally so that I may, in order that I may prove them. He's testing their obedience to his detailed instruction and he's testing their faith that ultimately he'll provide. Right? He's about to give them a bunch of instructions. He does it later in the chapter. Gives them a lot of instruction about, hey, this is how it's going to work. This is when the bread will show up. Uh, this is when you need to gather it. This is when you need to not gather it. Right? Because he also implements a Sabbath. This is the first like, institutionalized, systematized practice of Sabbath for the nation of Israel. Where he's saying there is this day, the seventh day, you're not going to gather any of the bread that I'm going to send to you. That's why on the sixth day you have to gather twice as much because it's going to last you two days. Because he wants them to not just trust him in the day-to-day, but he also wants to trust them, or he wants them to trust him even when they don't see the bread on the ground. He wants them to trust him even when the manna doesn't just appear. And he wants to give them a day of rest, right? Because he ultimately knows what they truly ultimately need. In verse 14, we see how the Lord provides. It says that in the morning, when the layer of dew had evaporated, there on the surface of the desert was a thin, flaky substance, like thin, thin, like frost on the earth. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Because they did not know what it was. So Moses had to say to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you for food. I love this moment. Because you know, this is where we get the idea, the term of manna, right? It's a transliterate, it's, it's kind of a butchered version of the Hebrew term, transliterated into Greek and then transliterated in English of what, what is it? What? 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 Right? That's what's being communicated. What? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, front row. And this is the response. And I love this moment because the Lord is meeting their need while still missing their expectation, right? He's supplying exactly what they need, but he's subverting the way that they think he's going to do it to the point where he provides this incredible bread, this sustenance. And they're like, what is this? And Moses has to be like, it's the bread. It's what you need, you goobers, right? That's in the Hebrew, goober, right? That's what he says. That's what it is. Not really. I need to stop lying about Hebrew, right? But that's He says, it's the bread that you need. And this is what the Lord commanded, verse 16. That each person is to gather from uh, from it what he can, an omer per person, according to the number of your people. 
Right? So each one will pick it up for whoever lives in this tent. Right? So, so think about how much you're going to need and get that much. Verse 17. The Israelites did this. Right? They did so. And they gathered some more, some less. And when they measured the, with an omer, the one who gathered much had nothing left over. And the one who gathered little lacked nothing. Each one had gathered what he could eat. God is giving them this incredible, sufficient provision. He's saying, I know exactly what you need. And no one walks away unsatisfied. He says, you are going to get what you need, whether you know that's what you need or not. Right? That's the beauty of our God is that he meets our ultimate need, not just our immediate desires. Right? Because in this moment, God is providing for them food, but he's also providing a full day of rest. Why? Because he's looking at their lifetime. And he's saying, for a lifelong sustainability, you need rest. Right? He says, i got to bake this in. You just came out of slavery where you're working sun up to sundown every single day. That's not healthy. It's not sustainable. He says, I'm going to give you a day of rest where you can sit and be still. Know that I'm your God. Spend time with the people you love. And when people thought that God maybe didn't have it really figured out, they tried to gather extra bread. It tells us that actually the manna then would rot if they tried to gather extra. It would just rot and and go away. Uh, If they wanted to gather manna on the Sabbath, they were like, oh, no, I'm going to work every day, man. I'm I'm not afraid of work. And they go out. God wouldn't provide it. Like, nope, you missed out. He's showing them, look, ultimately, your need is to not just be fed, is not just to rest, but ultimately, I'm going to give you these tests and these, these processes and these rules to follow because what you ultimately need is to trust me more. Because your ultimate need is a, is a deeper trust in me as your God. And I think this is really significant because a lot of times in my life, I know that I, I'm not always the best at identifying what I need. Right? Because so many times I'm identifying my needs through a very narrow focus, very narrow lens. But God is looking at what I need through in light of eternity. Right? But so many times I convince myself, I say, no, no, I, I need this lifestyle. Or I need this type of provision. I need this type of family thing. I need these boxes to get checked. And it's, it's really just not true. Those are things that maybe I want. Those are maybe things that I desire, which maybe isn't wrong. But it's not truly what I need in light of eternity. I see this play out in my life. I see this play out, again, in my, in my children's lives. Uh, we have done a lot. My, my wife and I have worked a lot to teach our daughter, in particular, our oldest, uh, she's four and a half. We've taught her, okay, this is the difference between wants and needs, right? Like, there are things that you want, but then there are things that you need. And it is more important to get what you need than what you want, right? You need to sleep, or you need to eat vegetables, like nutrition other than goldfish. Like you need these things in your life. And, and she's actually, she's bought into it, um, maybe a little bit too much to where she will see things like maybe my son is borrowing some sunglasses and my daughter has now learned, she, she will say, she, and I, I see her mind working in it every time. It happens all the time where she sees something and she wants it. She sees that toy. She's like, I want those sunglasses. But as she speaks, she says, I w-, and it's on the tip of her tongue. And then I, I watch her like, and she'll say, I need those. Yeah, I need them. I'm like, no, you don't. It's a lie, right? It's not, it's not true. Great job, right? Trying to find the loophole. Well done. Uh, but 
It's simply not true. She will convince herself that I need these things, but she, she really, she doesn't. And I will find myself claiming in my thoughts or even with my words, I mean, I, I need this type of affirmation. I need these things to fall into place. And the reality is, is I, I really don't. And the Lord looks at me and he graciously and lovingly points me maybe in a new direction. And, and he has these moments of clarity with me. He says, it's those goals and those plans that you had, Jacob, they, they, they weren't what's best. Every, every once in a while I have that moment of clarity where I get to look back and I'm like, man, yeah, those aspirations or those desires, I'm so glad those didn't come through. Because what the Lord had for me was so much better. I learned so much more or I grew so much more. I mean, I, I see now the benefit and I get to see that sometimes there's other times that I don't. But I can trust that in the light of eternity that the Lord is moving things for my ultimate eternal good. This is what Jesus tried to communicate to the, the crowds that started following him in, early in the Gospel of John. He had just performed this huge miracle giving bread and, and fish to thousands of people. And so people are, man, they're, so, they're like, man, this guy can feed us. This guy's healing people. He's speaking in a way that we've never heard spoken. They're like, man, we, we, we want him to be our king. We want him to defeat Caesar. We want him to overthrow the oppressive reign of the government that's in control of us. And in fact, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, what we, what we see in John is that actually he pulls away because he knows that they are about to storm the hill. They're about to take him by force and try to make him king of Israel. And so Jesus pulls away. He goes across the water. The next morning, the people discover this. They follow him. And when they show up, essentially ready to make him king, he, he starts telling a story. And he tells them in John chapter 6 that, hey, you know, our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. He says, remember the incredible provision of the Lord back in the wilderness, back in those ancient days of our ancestors. He says, that was, that was huge, right? He says, but I tell you the truth. It wasn't Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but my father is giving you the true bread from heaven. He's reminding them, he says, but remember, it wasn't Moses. That wasn't his ability or his power or his provision. It was God, right? It's what Moses and Aaron tried to tell the Israelites at that time when they were grumbling, right? They're like, remember, it's not about us. Jesus is saying the same thing. He says, it wasn't about them. Because the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they said to him, sir, give us this bread all the time. They're like, man, that sounds great. We would love to have the bread a lot. I mean, something that brings satisfaction and joy. And great. Bring it. Hand it over. And Jesus is like, great. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I am the bread of life. And the one who comes to me will never go hungry. The one who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is telling them, man, th- this is the incredible truth. That what you ultimately need is not the defeat of Caesar, but the defeat of sin. See, this is what we play out, and this is what we see play out in the life of Christ. We know from Scripture that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, the glory and the splendor, the perfection of heaven, and into the broken muck and mire of this earth. And he lived a life that was perfect, that was righteous. That was good in, in every sense. And because of that perfect life, he deserved all the honor and all the glory and all the praise 
that, that, that we could give him all the blessings that God had promised to those who kept his commandments. And yet Jesus, even though he was perfect, living that life that we could never live, he died so that we could live. He died paying the penalty for our mistakes and our sin and our, mis- our failure. And then when he rose from the grave three days later, he says, this is proof that those mistakes and those failures, those, those errors, those regrets, that guilt, that shame, he says, those things don't own you. He says, I've overcome it. He says, you don't have to be scared of the grave because I already went through it. And so he says, you can trust in me. You can call on me. And if you believe in who I am and in what I've done, you can be free from condemnation. You can be free from guilt, free from shame. He says, you leave that behind and you enter into the glory of a life where you are adopted into the family of God. You are a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High if you call on the name of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's our gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, I am the bread who will always satisfy, who will, make, who will bring you into eternity of this living water, right? Of this eternal presence of God. This is the response he got. The Jews who were hostile to Jesus began complaining about him. Because he had said these things. Because he had said that I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And you want to know what the term is right here? You want to know what the root Greek term is being used right here? Murmur. They murmured against him. And I think this is incredibly intentional by the Apostle John. He's saying the same old struggles are still here. That maybe we get sight of a God who sees us. Maybe we realize that he wants to meet our needs. And yet, even in those moments, we're going to get stuck. And we're going to be on the verge and we're just, we just can't get there. And we're going to be dissatisfied with our circumstances. We're going to be dissatisfied because he isn't acting like the Messiah we wanted. Because he's not doing the things that we expected. And suddenly there's a gap between what we expected God to do and what he's actually doing, and we get frustrated and we get disappointed. That's what's happening. That's where I still struggle. Even though I know, I know that God is good. I know that he sees me. I know that he calls himself my heavenly father who loves to give good gifts. I mean, even though I know these things, I still struggle with discontentment. I still struggle being frustrated with the circumstances of my life. And this isn't a new problem. In fact, we see this at the end of Exodus 16. Moses knows that this is in the future for the Israelites. He knows it. And so through the command of the Lord, he's going to give them a shift in perspective. And he's going to try to implement a principle that will help them find the lasting contentment that they all long for. He said, this is what the Lord has commanded. You need to fill an omer with it. And he's talking about a a jar. You need to fill an omer with this jar, or fill a jar with this omer, to be kept for generations to come. So that... They may see the food I fed you in the desert when I brought you out from the land of Egypt. So, so you've got to take one of those servants, or you take this omer of manna, and you put it in a jar. 
And then you keep it in the holiest of holies. In fact, they wind up putting it in the Ark of the Covenant, this symbolic throne of the Lord, which was in the Holy of Holies, the center of their tabernacle, eventually the center of their temple, the holiest of holies, the place where the presence of God came. He said, this is what we got to keep in there. One of the things that we hold on to, one of the things that we remember for all of time is a piece of what God did. Why? Because if we remember what God did, it reminds us of who God is. So that's why I want you to hold on to it. Because God has given you manna so that you would know him better, right? He said that in the beginning of 16. This is so that you will see the glory of God. This is so that you will know the Lord is the one in front of you. He has done these things. He's, he's given you this stuff so that you would better understand who he is. But I know that you're still going to struggle to forget. It, it's what you talked about last week. That you have to remember to remember. You have to build into your life a discipline of remembering what God has done. Because we are so quick to forget the faithfulness of our God. And we are all facing disappointment. It's coming. We are all walking out of this room and into missed expectations. Those expectations are going to be missed by ourselves. We're not going to do what we think we need to do. They're going to be missed by our friends or our family members or our coworkers. They're going to be missed by our circumstances. And the reality is that we can't just manage our expectations. That's something that I've tried a lot in life. It's something that I, I, thrive, I, I can just say, okay, well, I'm just going to you know, manage these things. I'm just going to guard my heart. I'm going to kind of wall myself off against some of these hopes because I'm just thinking, like, oh, I've just got to keep my expectations low. And, and that'll get you a little down the road. But it, I'll tell you, it's not a lasting solution to finding contentment in life. In fact, it just, you become pessimistic. You lose joy. You lose hope. Our goal is not to manage our expectations. Our goal is to move them. We need to move our expectations from our circumstances to our Savior. Literally, I think this is what we see in Exodus 16. Moses is showing them, look, you've got to move your expectations from the quality of your life and onto the character of your God. It's not about what's happening in your life. It's about who's ultimately in control, right? Lasting contentment is only found in the everlasting God. If, I, if I'm putting my expectations in simply how my life plays out and what God provides, man, I'm going to miss it, right? Because I don't have the knowledge that he has. I don't have the perspective of eternity that he has. So instead, I got to take that expectation. When I feel that disappointment, when I feel that frustration, what I do is I, I got to say, okay, uh, rather than choosing disappointment, I'm going to choose dependence. And to do that, I'm moving my expectation from the circumstance to my God, to his character. And so I'm going to, in those moments, try to remind myself and have friends and family alongside of me who help me remind me that my hope, my expectation is in who God is. That, that he is a loving father who wants my best in light of eternity. That's where my expectation can sit. And that's an expectation that will always be met. No gap. His God has revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself in his word. He reveals himself through his people. And he says, this is what you need to know about me. I love you. And I want what's best for you in light of eternity. And sometimes we understand it, sometimes we don't. And in those moments where we don't, man, we can choose disappointment, we can, we can feel it. And maybe it's not even a conscious choice, right? It just, it just happens. But in those moments, we have to remember, okay, who is our God? Right, well, one of my family members uh, entered into a marriage years ago because of an unplanned pregnancy. 
and despite her best efforts, that marriage ended in divorce uh, because her husband uh, committed adultery and then just abandoned her uh, and their one-year-old daughter. And, you know, as the years went by, she started to walk through life as a single mom, which is unbelievable, unbelievably difficult. What I saw in her life was this incredible growth and deepening of her trust in God. She, she grew closer to her Heavenly Father. And, and she was praying consistently for contentment. She was praying to be dependent upon God. And she reached a point where she genuinely, genuinely could say that she was not worrying about finding a new husband. She wasn't worried about that. Right? That, that was an, that it started that way, but she, she moved kind of past that. She would, she would say, she's like, it's okay, we'll be, you know, me and my daughter, we'll be the Gilmore girls. It'll be great. Right? Like, okay, I guess. Right? Her expectations had shifted, right? They'd shifted from her circumstance. They shifted to her Savior. She says, this, he is what is most important. I can trust who he is, even when I don't understand what's happening. And I'll tell you, eventually, God actually did provide a man who had been walking through his own incredible struggles during that exact same period of time. And completely unaware, right? both of them completely unaware of this kind of greater plan of the Lord, both of them were being refined by the wilderness in their own ways. Until eventually the Lord brought them together and he allowed me to perform the wedding, to join them in marriage. And it's a marriage that has grown and flourished. It's a, it's a marriage, you know, just over a year ago where they, they entered into it. They enjoy it uh, with both of their daughters, right? They, they just had their second daughter um, a month ago. And it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch the provision from the Lord. And I tell you this story not to set a false expectation, right? We don't, we should not expect to always see manna on the ground, We shouldn't expect to always get to look down and see the miracle of manna in every single story. Sometimes it's there. And sometimes it's not. But what we can always expect is to look up and see the God who promises that he loves us. Who promises that he has our best at heart. Who promises and has proven his faithfulness through sending his son Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin. Prove his love through that ultimate sacrifice to meet our ultimate need. Who then asks us, depends, or calls on us to depend on him to provide what we need in light of eternity. Right? That's, that's what we can expect. It's an expectation that will always be met. And that's my hope is that we would gain sight of that truth, that we would carry it with us. So let's come before the Lord and ask him to put it on the forefront of our mind right now. God, we thank you that you've given us this incredible promise. A promise that you will provide what we need even when we can't name exactly what that is. God, that you hear... Our, our, our moanings. God, that you see our struggle. God, thank you for being a, a father who 
wants to be intimately involved in our decisions, in our thoughts, in our, in our practices. And God, we, just, we ask that we would be a people who, who trust you enough to, to bring you in. We trust enough to look up and see you and believe and, and that we wouldn't just be bringing our needs before you, God, even though that is, you ask us, that's good. But God, that we would, in those moments of, of dismay or in those moments of anxiety or in those moments of the unknown, that God, that we would also bring to you the request that you would increase our faith, that God, we would pray like Jesus' followers, asking you to increase our faith so that we could be trusting in you more. So that these moments, these struggles, these what you would call trials of many kinds, Lord, that they would increase in us a, a dependence on you, a perseverance to move through this life, faithful to your calling, so that when we enter into your glory, God, as Rob so beautifully shared earlier, God, when we hit that moment, we look at you face to face, we can hear those words, well done, well done. So if you would take a moment right now and ask the Lord to just convict you, to bring the light in your mind, but where am I just not trusting you? God, where am I not depending on you? I'm putting my hope in myself and other people and God, it's just, I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting disappointed. Ask him just to bring that to light and then ask him, God, let your spirit strengthen me to move those expectations, to move them onto your character and who you are. And not just leave those expectations in what I want my life to look like, but instead in who you've told me you are. So take this moment, ask him to convict you, and then ask him to strengthen you as we enter into worship. God, keep our need ever before us. God, let us be a people who are dependent on you, on your leadership, on your guidance. God, a people who expect you to always be who you are, faithful to your character, faithful to your promises. But don't let our expectations waver or our dependence falter. God, let us move forward this week as a people who share this truth with others. We pray these things in your will. Amen. Well, we love you guys. We'll see you next week.